In the name of Jesus, Amen. After the Last Supper, Jesus took his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane. And he took Peter and two other disciples. And he pulled them aside. And he told them that he was sorrowful and that he was troubled. He told them, as you heard on Sunday, he said, My soul is very sorrowful, is consumed and crushed by sorrow, even to death. Stay here. Stay with me. His disciples have never seen Jesus in this position. Usually, typically, normally, is people who are full of sorrow and troubled, and the Lord comforts them. He is the one comforting the sorrowful, but not the other way around. And what we see here is that there's something happening to Jesus. There's something going on. He says, I could die of sorrow. I could die of it right now. And whatever, it, whatever it was, whatever was going on in him, could have killed him if the Father had not sent an angel from heaven to come and strengthen him. That's how severe and serious it was. In fact, even after that moment, even after that encouragement, he still, while praying, sweat drops of blood. And the question is, well, what is it? What is going on? What is in his mind? What is going on in his heart? What's happening in his soul? Well, Matthew chapter 16, uh, this is an event that happens before the transfiguration of the Lord, before he takes Peter, James, and John up with him and transfigures himself where his divinity shines forth, beaming through his pores on his skin. He, uh, right before that, the Lord tells Peter, James, and John, he, the scriptures say he started to tell them something. And this is what the scriptures say. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. He said this, he's been saying this, is what the scriptures imply, for over a year now. He's been repeating this to them, telling this to them, drilling this into their minds over and over. And the point is, is now in the Garden of Gethsemane, that hour has come. What he, was, what he predicted long ago now has come. And the time has come when he's no longer going to say it, but the disciples will see it. He's no longer going to predict it. He's going to endure it. He's going to endure a rejection like no other, like we've never seen before. He's going to suffer the pain of rejection. In fact, the Lord is suffering just thinking about the suffering that is to come. That's what's causing him suffering, even now. In the garden, when he is perfectly fine, nothing is happening, nobody's attacking him there. While he's suffering in the garden, there are soldiers who come to him with clubs and with swords, and they say, they arrest him. Judas betrays him with a kiss. They arrest him, and then Jesus says these words He says, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. And then he says this, But this 
is your hour. The power of darkness, so he says. They arrest him, they bind him, they mock him, they blaspheme him, they blindfolded him. They blindfolded Jesus and then they struck him in the face. And they said, look, Jesus, if you're a prophet, well then, why don't you tell us who just struck you? And then smack. And why don't you tell us who did that? Over and over again, just taunting him. The pain is not simply the punch that he endures here, but that it's coming from the people whom he loves, the ones he knit together in their mother's wombs. He knows them. He knows who did it. Um, And they rejected him. And as painful as that is, it's not as painful as how he got there. Judas, a close friend, a disciple, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A kiss on the cheek, one of the most intimate things, things that friends do. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. There is a, this is a deep betrayal. It is a stinging betrayal. This, this rejection comes not from strangers or from a, uh, uh, strangers or from a soldier, but from his dear friend. I want to make a comment here just on this betrayal. Because we oftentimes think that Judas was the only one of the twelve that was capable of betraying Jesus in this way. But the reality is that they were all capable of it. They're all equally capable of doing this. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, when Jesus says this, he says, One of you will betray me. Did the disciples say, Oh, yep, we know. That's Judas. That is Judas. He was a bad egg from the beginning. We knew it all along. We, we, we called it. And we knew this was going to happen. And it was just a matter of time. It was obvious. And this, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be this guy. No. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me, they all say, all of them. They said, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Are you talking about me? They knew that they themselves were completely capable of betraying the Lord. They knew this. Just to give you an example, if the Lord himself appeared to us today, makes makes himself visible to us right now, though he uh, he is invisible Uh, But if he makes himself visible here today and he says to us, standing in front of the church, says out loud, look, one of you is going to get angry and complain on the way home while you drive. Or he says, look, one of you here is not really very genuine or sincere tonight. You're not here for the right reason. I think we all would think Is he talking about me? Because that could be me. I I can do that. That is something I'm capable of. He's not saying something that's out of my power, that's out of my capabilities. That's something completely that I have done, that I can do, that I would do again. 
Because the reason we would say that is because we know full well that we're 100% capable of doing this. We're uh, capable of complaining, of being disingenuous and distracted and not paying attention, not being sincere. We're all capable of this and we know our own sin in this way. All the disciples know how weak and disloyal and faithless they are. So when he says, one of you will betray me, they, they all, that, that's describing all of them to a degree. Anyone who doesn't think this is, any, anyone who doesn't think this would apply to them is proud. And they are secure in their own flesh. When Jesus said this, Peter himself said, everyone else, everyone else may fall away, but, but uh, everyone else may fall away because of you, but I will not. In fact, I will die with you if I have to. And then you know the words Jesus says. He says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In other words, Peter, you will not make it to the morning. And that's what happened. The first denial was a simple denial. They asked uh, Peter, do you know this guy? And he says, look, I, I don't know what you're talking about. They come up to him a little bit later. They ask him again. The second time he takes an oath, the scriptures say, he says, I swear to God, I do not know this man. And the third time they ask him, and the scriptures say this, that he called down curses upon himself. It would be something like Peter saying, may I be damned if I know this man. May God send me to hell if I know this man. I don't know him. That's the severity of the denial, of the rejection. That is coming from one of... Jesus' closest friends, one of his own disciples, one, Jesus' dearest friends, one of them sells him, another one denies ever knowing him. The rest abandon him. They watch him from a distance for some reason. He needs strength and encouragement, and they're silent. He asks for their prayers, and then they fall asleep. And as painful as all of that is, it is still not as painful as the abandonment that he knows is coming. This is the main source of his sorrow. This is the reason he is sweating blood. The time has come when the Father himself will forsake him. This is the great sorrow in the garden. This is the cup that he is talking about, the cup of wrath. He knows it's coming. He knows from all, he's known it from all eternity. He asked the Father to remove it from him. He doesn't want to be forsaken. He asked for any other way. Is there any, is there any way possible to remove this cup from me? Is there any other way to go through with this and accomplish the salvation of the world? No, there is not. There's one way. This is the only way. And that is why he is full of sorrow, even unto death. It's one thing to be forsaken by an enemy or a soldier or a guard. It's another thing to be forsaken by a close friend. But it is an entirely different matter and pain to be forsaken by God the Father. And we're talking about something we have no idea about. The, the point here is that the stronger the relationship, the more painful the separation. The more, the more painful it is when, they're, when they are apart. 
Think about it. If one of you is a visitor here tonight, um, and after the service, I don't know, you, you see me outside, and this is your first time here, and then you walk up to me and you say something like, you're pathetic. Uh, I think you're a fool. I'm leaving, and I'm never coming back. There. And you say that to me. I would, I would think it's weird. And I would uh, probably throw my brow like, this is a very weird thing. And then probably never think about it again and move on with my life. Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> I never knew you. <clears throat> but if my own dear wife said to me, look, I, I think you're pathetic. I think you're a fool. I'm leaving. And I'm never coming back. Then I would be inconsolable. If my sons said this to me, my father or my mother, my family said that to me, you would be heartbroken. It is worse, significantly, it's the same words, but it is significantly worse, infinitely worse. Now, you can only begin to imagine the infinite love that is between the Father and the Son. Think of the deepest, the greatest, most profound love that anyone has ever had for another human being here in this world. And that, that greatest love that we have ever seen in this world, that is only a drop of water, a molecule of water compared to the ocean of love between the Father and the Son that is infinite and eternal and everlasting. That is perfect and pure. The Father and, and the Son who are in perfect communion, they're in perfect love always and forever from all eternity. Pure and eternal love, no sin between them, only pure, perfect, holy love. And yet the hour has come, the hour has come when the Son must be forsaken. Forsaken on the cross by His dear Father. And the question is, <clears throat> why? Why is he doing this? Why in the world is he enduring this? What, what does he get from this? We, you, you and I, we are the ones who should be forsaken. Why is he forsaking his son? Well, it is for you. All this he does and suffers for your sake, for your good. Who for us men and for our salvation, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you, for you. Christ drinks the cup of God's wrath so that you would drink the cup of salvation. This, this is what uh, Luther calls the great exchange. The Son of God takes your place and you take His place. The Son forsaken by the Father. He is forsaken by the Father so that He would never forsake you. I, I want to read you some verses from some hymns. This is a verse from a hymn that Dr. Luther wrote. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice. I'm just going to read verse 5 here. 
And it says this, God said, this is imagining the conversation between the father and the son, how all of this was worked out. Why, why, why he would do this? And it says this, he imagined this and he says, God said to his beloved son, it is time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, and bring to all salvation. From sin and sorrow set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. This is from another hymn. Uh, Hymn 438. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Again, this is another hymn uh, written by Paul Gerhardt. It's uh, imagining the conversation, again, that's happening between the Father and the Son. How they agreed upon this from before the foundation of the world. The plan and how to save worms like you and I. This is what it says. The Lamb is Christ, the soul's great friend, the Lamb of God, our Savior, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us His favor. Go forth, my son, the Father said, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and the stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. And then here's the son responding, Yes, Father, yes, most willingly, I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. A wondrous love would have you done. The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. O love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. This is what Jesus accomplished. He accomplished our salvation. He made it so that the Father would never forsake us. The scriptures say, Isaiah chapter 49, Can a woman woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these, even a mother may forget her child. Yet I will never forget you. Psalm 27, even if your father and your mother forsake you, I will never forsake you. He's talking to you and I. Christ was forsaken so you would never be, ever, never. There's there's not one sin that you can commit where the Lord forsakes you. You, you. You've forsaken God a thousand times. Every time you sin, you forsake Him and His Word and reject Him. And you purposefully, deliberately sin. Even then, the Lord will not forsake you. You turn away from Him a thousand times, and He will not turn away from you when you come back to Him in faith again and again and again and again. Not one day, not one day in this life, not one one nanosecond of this life will He ever depart from you. Not, Not on the best day, not on the worst day, not on your first day, not on the last day. He forgives you, and He is with you. When you take your final breaths in this life, the Lord Himself will be with you. Not for one second will He depart you. You will never ever know, you dear Christians will never ever know what it's like to not have the Lord with you. You'll you'll never understand that, ever. Throughout all eternity, the Lord has made sure of it. You'll never know what it's like to be apart from Him. So tonight, the dear... You, dear saints, your Lord receives you and he remembers you. He does not forsake you in your sin. 
He declares you forgiven, righteous, not guilty, completely and wholly innocent in his sight again and again. And he loves you. He loves you with a love that you can never understand. He absolutely adores you. So this night, drink deeply from the cup of salvation that the Lord has given to you this night. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.